Well, good morning to all of those who have joined us online. We're glad that you are here, and welcome to all of you who are in this room today. And I'm grateful to have the opportunity to be here with you. I have, we walk through this a whole lot with our pastor. We talk about the bad news, we talk about the worst news, we talk about the good news, and we talk about the best news. The best news is that your pastor, Dr. James Gregory Merritt Sr., will be back in this place next week according to the Lord and everybody else. Say amen. This morning, it's been my privilege over the last couple of weeks to open the Bible with you, and I pray that you have your Bible, a copy of God's Word with you this, uh, this day. And I ask that you would just simply go ahead and begin turning to Joshua chapter 10. We're going to be Joshua chapter 10, 7 through 14. And uh, as we begin, let me ask you the question. Have you ever heard of the term BHAG? Have you ever heard of the term BHAG? It's B-H-A-G. Uh, BHAG stands for Big Hairy Audacious Goal. Perhaps you in your lifetime maybe didn't know the term, but you have made a big, hairy, audacious goal. It's a goal that's kind of long-term in initiative. It's, it's hard to achieve, but something that perhaps is exciting to you, gets your juices flowing just a little bit. But a BHAG is much more than just a goal. It, it should scare us a little bit. It should excite us a little bit because it's something that you know without a whole lot of effort you cannot you cannot achieve a BHAG. And if you set your BHAG for something that's 100% assured of achieving, then it isn't big enough. It isn't hairy enough. It isn't audacious enough. And you will simply fall short of what a BHAG truly means. So it's the idea of shooting for the stars, but if you miss, you'll land on the moon. Okay, that's kind of what a BHAG is. Let's go to the screen here real quick. I got a couple of BHAGs here. Google says they wanted to organize the world's information. Okay, that makes sense. All right, they've pretty much done that. Uh, Facebook says they want to connect the world. Okay, going down a little bit more. Some of you familiar, you're in the business world, are familiar with Evernote. They want to remember everything. Okay, perhaps you, uh, Microsoft. I've heard this, a computer on every desk and in every home. Or Nike, in the 1960s, their BHAG was to crush Adidas. Well, if you look back, you have a pretty good idea Nike did just that. Starbucks said they want to become the most recognized and respected consumer brand in the world. Amazon, if you remember, Amazon was, when they first started, was an online bookstore. They had the BHAG to have every book ever printed in any language, all available in less than 60 seconds. Now Amazon has just taken over the world. Stanford University said, we want to be the Harvard of the West. President Kennedy, all of us probably, are too young to, or too young to remember. He said, I want to put a man on the moon. That's an idea of a BHAG. I had a BHAG once. It was to run a marathon. I thought this was a great idea. Let's just run a marathon. Surely you can just hop up one day and run 26.2 miles. A marathoner never forgets the point two, okay? Because that is the most grueling of all of it. I thought, hey, listen, why don't, hey, listen, why don't I just get a doctorate? That sounds fun. In fact, let's just get a PhD. That's, that's, that's fun. Let's do that. 
So I embarked, and seven years later, it took me to get that, and I thought, hey, this is fun. Let me publish a book. So, you know, theoretically, my dissertation was published, but my next BHAG is to publish a book that actually someone would want to read. Our final story in this summer series is very much like some of these BHAGs. A story about Joshua, the leader of God's people, asking God to do something that was extraordinary. Even scary if you think about it. Joshua asked God to do the impossible, to literally make the sun stand still. Grab your Bibles. Joshua chapter 10. It's the sixth book of the Bible. Go Genesis and go straight through the five books of Moses and you'll get to Joshua. We're going to read from... We're going to read from 10, verse 7, all the way to 10, 14. So it's a little bit, but uh, give us the, the story here. Verse 7 says this. So Joshua went up from Gilgal. Now what's taking place is there is going to be another battle. We've seen battle after battle, and we're going to see one more battle. In fact, this will be one of the last battles that will take place until the promised land is in full control. Verse 7, so Joshua went up from Gilgal, he and all the people of war with him, and all the mighty men of valor. And the Lord said to Joshua, do not fear them, for I have given them into your hands. Not a man of them shall stand before you. So Joshua came up upon them suddenly, having marched up all night from Gilgal. Verse 10. And the Lord threw them into a panic, threw the enemy into a panic before Israel, who struck them with a great blow at Gibeon and chased them by the way of the ascent of Beth Horon and struck them as far as Azekah and Makeda. Now, when I was actually reading through this, let's just stop there. When I was reading through this, I actually practiced these names, okay? So when you read the Bible, isn't that the hard part? It's when you read people's names and it's like, oh man, could I just fast forward through all these? I actually practiced these because they're tongue twisters. And I thought, you know, certainly when you read the Bible, that's the only place on planet earth that has hard names or weird names or strange names until I did a little bit of a Google search. Do you realize in Kentucky, there's a town named Bug Tussle or Bitter in Tennessee? I figured Doc would like that a whole lot better in Tennessee. Monkey's Eyebrow, Kentucky. Santa Claus, Indiana. Scratch Ankle, Alabama. Why Arizona? Not to be undone by why not North Carolina. Toadsuck, Arkansas. And Flippin' Georgia. Who knew? All right, back to the Bible. All right, verse 11. And as they fled before Israel while they were going down the ascent of Beth Horon, the Lord threw down large stones from heaven on them as far as Azekah, and they died. There were more who died because of the hailstones than the sons of Israel killed with the sword. Verse 12. At that time, Joshua spoke to the Lord in the day when the Lord gave the Amorites over to the sons of Israel, and he said in the sight of all Israel, Son, stand still at Gibeon and the moon in the valley of Ajalon. And the sun stood still and the moon stopped until the nation took vengeance on their en enemies. It is not written, is it not written in the book of Dashar? The sun stopped in the midst of heaven and did not hurry to set for about a whole day. There has been no day like it before or since when the Lord heeded the voice of a man for the Lord fought for Israel. Would you pray with me? Lord Jesus, right now, 
Would you take the reading of your word? Would you take the preaching of your word? Would you use all the thoughts that are in my head and make them clear? For these, your dear people, you teach us now in Jesus' name. Amen. The Bible is full of miraculous moments where the goals of men collide with the will of God. We've been studying Joshua over the last month. In fact, Joshua was the unquestioned leader of God's people, the Israelites, and the Lord was with Joshua. We've seen that. The people of God are on their way home to the promised land. They're almost there. And Joshua has had eyewitnesses, uh, moments, encounters with God doing these impossible things time and time again. And we are, this morning, we are a miracle-believing people. And so was Joshua. He saw the Red Sea parted by Moses. He was guided by God when he was, there was an ordained cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night. When they were wandering in the wilderness, remember Joshua was there. He saw when manna fell from heaven when they had their needs being met. He saw the Jordan River that was parted by his own hand. He witnessed the fortified city of Jericho fall to the Israelites with simply some shouts and some blowing of trumpets. He had heard stories of the Bible, those first five books that we kind of skipped through to get to Joshua. He had heard about a ram being caught in a thicket to save Isaac's life. He heard a big, about a big old boat and an even greater flood. He had heard about Joseph being miraculously protected to save a nation. You see, Joshua's conquest of the land is winding down. He is coming to the last moments of these battle, and he is about to enter into the promised land and take it in full, but not without a twist. We experience another miraculous demonstration of God fighting for his people. And there are five things that come to mind that I want you to see in our passage. In light of God's continuous efforts, in light of God's continuous efforts on our behalf. Okay, when you think about this, this is what God does over and over again. In light of what God's continuous efforts on our behalf, we must do five things. We must admit, we must admit that our God is too small. The people of God are engaging on one of their last battles before fully occupying this land. They had walked all night and now witnessed the mighty hand of God once again fight on their behalf. Now let's go back to the scriptures, verse 10. And the Lord threw them into a panic, threw the enemy into a panic before Israel, who struck them with a great blow at Gibeon and chased them down by the way of the ascent of Beth Horon. And they struck them as far as Azekah and Makeda. And as they fled before Israel, while they were going down the ascent of Beth Horon, the Lord threw down large stones, hailstones, from heaven on them as far as Azekah. And they died there. There were more who died. Now look at this last sentence. There were more who died because of the hailstones than the sons of Israel killed with the sword. Do we really know the God of the Bible? He is not a candy, cotton candy God that you find at the carnival. He is not a plush toy found in the toy aisle at Walmart. He is not a Slim Jim easily picked up at a gas station. Do you remember the story about your God? Do you remember the song about your God that you used to sing, some of you, to your children? My God is so big, 
so strong and so mighty, there's nothing my God cannot do. The mountains are his, the valleys are his, the skies are his handiwork too. My God is so big, so strong and so mighty, there's nothing my God cannot do. He is the creator of the universe who holds the giant hailstones in his hands. I want to introduce to you two phrases that are theological in nature, but I thought it'd be fun. Okay, in my head, this sounded fun. So I want to introduce you to two phrases. The first is the transcendence of God. That God, this idea is that God is wholly independent of material universe. Beyond all physical laws, he is holy, he is other, he is set apart. The word holy means that he is set apart, he is other. He is simply not like you and I. He is above, he is higher than, and he is independent of all others. You see, God is transcendent. He is transcendent. Let me give you a couple things in creation. Genesis 1-1 says, in the beginning, God. It doesn't say in the beginning, God and Bob and Steve and Ted and Jenny and Jennifer and everybody else. It said in the beginning, God. He is, he is transcendent in holiness. Exodus 33, 20 says, the Lord said to Moses, interaction, interaction with Moses, you cannot see my face, he says, for man shall not see me and live. His holiness was so great that no human could withstand it. You see, this great God is one that he would have to pass by so his back would be seen by Moses. Why? Because his greatness, his transcendence is something that you and I can't handle. He is transcendent in sinlessness. Hebrews 4.15 says that he was without sin. He was perfect in every way, incapable by his very nature of sinning. He can't by his nature sin. Now that brings us to a moment where we talk about all the time that God is perfect and we are not we are sinful, and if God can't be in the presence of sin by his very nature, then there is a gulf. There's a problem that we have. It started off real early. started off real early in the garden, okay, that there was sin entered, and therefore we can't get to God because of our sin. And that's where God's love comes in. He loves you so much that he sent his son Jesus to then cover you with his blood and pay a penalty you could not pay. Why? So that God sees you as sinless, therefore there is a relationship that is restored, that was broken long ago in his sinlessness. You see the transcendence of God in his eternal nature, that he existed before time and he will exist after time. We see he is transcendent in his power. He is in charge of the lightning and the thunder, the wind and the waves, and even in our story today, the hailstones. He is all-powerful, all-knowing, and all-present. God is so much bigger than you and I can even fathom. Our minds cannot grasp the normity of who God is. He is sovereign. He is the creator of all. God is all-powerful and cannot be contained. That is the God we're talking about this morning. He is transcendent, but he is also imminent. The imminence of God is the other flip side of that, is God is near and intimately involved in the small, minute details of your life. He resides in each one of us who is a believer. He is present and personal in intimate ways. John 1.14 tells us that God dwells among us. The, the word is actually, he tabernacles. He actually sets up residence in our lives for every believer. So while God is bigger than you can imagine, he lives in the quietness of our hearts. 
We talk about Jesus uh, being in our hearts. Sometimes we talk to kids and say, do you know Jesus as, as your personal Lord and Savior? Is Jesus in your heart? Have you ever asked Jesus in your heart? That's where we get the idea of this eminence of God. We are comforted by the Holy Spirit. Why? Because he is a still, small voice to us. Two unique aspects of the same God, both far and near, both big and small, supremely powerful, yet tender and loving. We serve a miraculous God, but let me ask you the question, do we act like it? It's interesting to note, as we just read, that there were more people killed by the mighty hailstones than by the swords of the Israelites, who were mighty men of valor, is the way the description goes. Why is it that we often try to fight with human means when we serve an infinitely powerful God? God has called us not simply to fight in mere human terms, but according to his will and his ways, we must admit that our God is too small. The second thing I want you to see is this. We must acknowledge our faith is too weak. We must acknowledge that our faith is too weak. Going back to verse 7. Verse 7 says this. So Joshua went up from Gilgal, he and all the people of war with him. Now remember Gilgal from week 2. Gilgal was the city where they put all the memorial stones after they came out of the Jordan. They stacked them up so they would remember, hey, listen, this is where the Lord has worked. So listen, they went up from Gilgal, he and all the people of war with him, and all the mighty men of valor. And the Lord said to Joshua, do not fear them, for I have given them into your hands. Not a man of them shall stand before you. We fear because we do not have faith. We do not have faith because our God is too small. Joshua 10, 25 says, the Lord will fight on your behalf. Church, this morning, folks watching online, I have a, a proclamation is the Lord will fight on your behalf. In fact, the scriptures just said, for I have given them into your hands. We've seen that as a re repeating theme throughout our study here is that God has said to them, hey, listen, I've already given you Joshua. I've already given you these people. Go and fight. Why? Because I have already given them into your hands. It's a good reminder for us today. When we acknowledge that our faith is too weak, we allow God then to take his rightful place in our lives. And we can live audacious lives with a BHAG that's spiritual in nature. We must also, the third thing, we must also affirm our efforts are too feeble. Our efforts are too feeble. How hard are you working at this thing called Christianity? How hard are you putting, how, how much effort are you putting into your daily time alone with Jesus or to put, getting yourself in a small group or serving in some capacity? Look at the verse here. So Joshua came upon them suddenly, having marched up all night from Gilgal. You see, God called, and you know what they did? They didn't ask questions. They gathered all their gear, and up they went, to the point that they had marched all night. Usually, militaries would simply not march all night. What they would do is get up early in the morning and try to surprise somebody three, four in the morning. But this army, they just decided they were marching all night because that's what God did. They had put, put in the effort. This is, a picture. this is a picture for us today of God's divine sovereignty and human responsibility. Ladies and gentlemen, God desires our efforts 
in accomplishing his will. God wants us to be involved in doing his will. He wants us to be a part of the plan. But remember the transcendence. Remember, God can do it without us. He can do it alone, but he would much rather his people, whom he loves to say, let's go arm in arm together and put in the effort. I ask you this morning, are you putting in the effort? I want to plow some ground here for just a moment, and I want to ask a couple of questions. Do you make the effort to bring your Bible to church? Do you make an effort to read your Bible? And let me say, this is not condemnation. It's simply something that I have tried to do over the course of time. Maybe it's practical in nature. Sometimes I'll reach for my phone. In fact, I did it this past week, and I remember teaching this and, and going back there. I reach for my phone, and it's just easy. It was a convenience thing. I reach for my phone so I could pull up the verse real fast. But I also know the pages of God's Word are marked in my Bible here. There are notes. There are things that God has taught me over the course of time. And I thumb through them. I just think when you read your Bible on your phone, it's a good tool. But my question is, is it nothing more or less than another searchable tool in your toolbox? Charles Spurgeon said this. He said, a Bible that's falling apart usually belongs to someone who isn't. I want to encourage us this morning simply to take your Bible and, and write in it, circle, underline, write what God is teaching you. So over the course of time, you can look back and go, my goodness, the good God has worked in my life at this time. What about those of you who, I'll speak to those of you who are online this morning, perhaps you are away traveling, perhaps you are, are on business, perhaps you're on vacation for some much needed rest. But I ask the question, do we put in the effort to be here for all of you? I see you here this morning. But I wonder sometimes if we don't sometimes allow the convenience of the moment to, to simply grip us. It's easier not to get dressed in the morning. It's easier to stay at home. I redeem a little bit of the travel time. And I don't have to deal with the handshakes during the welcome. I had one over here just a moment ago. It was great. I, I went to give her a fist bump. She goes, oh, I don't want a fist bump. I want to shake your hand. And I don't think it was a celebrity moment. I just think she said, I'm done with fist bumps. I don't think there's much celebrity in me. So when you think about this, Hebrews 10 says, do not neglect the gathering of believers. And I say these things, why? Because those of you who are online are joining us, we have missed you. We miss you in this room. We want to give you a fist bump and a high five and a shake your hand and realize the body is, is much bigger than all of us. It's a picture that we realize that we must put in the effort. We must put in the effort to get our kids here on Wednesday night. To say, I want to go to a small group, and yes, I'm going to have to forfeit a little bit of time here. Or I may have to put the kids to bed a little bit later. But in the end game, you realize it is worth it. And then share in the gospel. How about this? When you share the good news of the gospel and you say, hey, listen, I'm going to bring a friend or I'm going to share the good news of the gospel. Here's the question I would ask is, when the last time you led someone to Christ? That's the divine sovereignty. You say, well, God's in control of that. That's true. But let me ask you the flip question. When was the last time you tried? Human responsibility. 
the people of God walked all night because they were convinced that they were to be a part of this battle. We must admit our God is too small. We must acknowledge our faith is too weak. At times, we must affirm our efforts are too feeble. The fourth thing is this. We must accept our prayers are too generic. Our prayers are too generic. Have you ever thought about this very statement? Have you prayed these prayers before? God be with me. Bless, bless this food. Give me a good day. Forgive me of my sins. Help me do what's right. You know, those are good prayers and they're good intentions, but imagine how generic those must sound when you say, God be with me. It's almost as if you don't know that the transcendent God is always there or the imminent God is always for the believer, is always residing in your hearts. So I challenge us today to pray prayers of specificity. You may remember last week we gave you a prayer. Perhaps you have used that. Perhaps some of you took the little challenge to pray those prayers five different times as we sent emails this week. Here was one of them. Pardon all my sins, known and unknown, felt and unfelt, confessed and not confessed, remembered or forgotten, good Lord hear and hearing forgive. Our prayers are too generic at times. Why? Because we don't ever have to grapple with the reality of what we are sensing and feeling. How about this? Allow me to lead Jim to faith in Christ today. I'm going to see him. He's on my calendar. Give me a roadmap so that I may share Christ with him. Or perhaps eliminate this sin in my life. And name it. Claim it. God already knows it. You don't have to, you're not being ashamed simply by telling God something he already knows. How about before I see another human face or the warm glow of my phone, help me read your word in the morning. You see, I prepared all this all week and I've, I was prepared to say this. You know what, this morning? This morning I got up first thing, my alarm goes off and like many of you, my phone is my alarm. I grab my phone. Man, I, I had to say, get away from thee, Satan. I wanted to look at the scores. I wanted to look at what happened. I want to know what's happened before I picked up my Bible. Even the preacher who's preaching on it, who's prepared all week to say it, I still, still struggle with the temptation of putting something before my time alone with the Lord. Help me to tell someone about Jesus before I put my head back on that pillow. Take this word or this phrase out of my vocabulary. Put my faith and my feet and my hands and my voice into action. Remember, Caleb in Joshua chapter 14, he asked for a mountain. If, if we, he can pray a specific prayer saying, God, give me that mountain right there. That's the one I want. Then we can specifically call out to God specific prayers. A royal official in John chapter 4 said, Jesus, come heal my son. He didn't say, hey, bless me. He said, no, my son is sick. I want you to heal him. Jesus walked on water in Matthew chapter 14. What did Peter do? Crazy Peter. He jumped out of the boat. And you know what? He started walking on water until he took his eyes off Jesus and he began to sink. May our prayers do the same. Verse 12, look what happens. 
at that time, Joshua spoke to the Lord in that day when the Lord gave the Amorites over to the sons of Israel. And he said in the sight of Israel, Son, stand still at Gibeon and moon in the valley of Ajalon. He gives a specific prayer. It's an audacious prayer. God, only you can do what I am asking. And let us recognize that our prayers this morning are too generic. May we shoot for the stars, and if we fail, we land on the moon. But a lot of times we don't think that way in the spiritual life. May our spiritual behag come because our God is too big, not too small. Our faith is too strong, not too weak. Our effort is all in. It's not feeble and anemic. That our prayers are specific and audacious and not generic and lackluster. And lastly, the fifth thing, we must assert. We must assert that our dreams are too godless. Our dreams are too godless. We, we have these dreams of, of financial security. We have these dreams of what our kids will do and turn out to be. We have these dreams of our influence. We have these dreams of, of being able to sit on a sandy beach one day. But our dreams oftentimes are too godless. Look, go back in 13. And the sun stood still. He asked for it to stand still. And then what happens? The sun stood still and the moon stopped until the nation took vengeance on their enemies. On their enemies. Is this not written in the book of Jashar? The sun stopped in the midst of heaven and did not hurry to set for about a whole day. There has been no day like it before or since when the Lord heeded the voice of a man. For the Lord fought for Israel. Perhaps your BHAG is a marathon, a promotion, a degree, a human accomplishment. But let me say to you all in the hearing of my voice, we often settle for the created and miss the creator. Let me say that again. We settle for the created and miss the creator. We become satisfied with those things that only man can give and miss the one who can give us the impossible. Without God, our dreams are humanistic. They are man-centered and impotent. And Joshua knew that in this moment, that listen, the sun was going down on their day. And if the sun set, if the sun set, the enemy would escape. We're almost finished. We're almost about to take over the promised land. And this enemy is slipping before our hands. Why? Because the sun is setting. As soon as the sun set, the enemy will slip into the darkness and get away. There were no street lights. There were no night goggles. There was no infrared technology. No glow-in-the-dark arrows. And he cries out, God, preserve our victory. Dream Dream was the ultimate of victory. It was winning so that we could do what God has called us to do, and that is enter the promised land. Give me a couple more hours in this day. I remember uh, going out with teams of people back in the day when we would share Christ and go out with teams, and I would, I would see this dog walk by as soon as we'd start to share the gospel. And you'd have this moment where you were going, we're going we're gonna to really, the Lord is working here and see this dog walk by. And I would, I would pray that that dog would just be shut up in a room by itself. The door would just miraculously close with that dog. A distraction. God used a talking donkey in Numbers 22. 
Jesus healed a blind man with some mud in John chapter 4. Some mud. And Peter brought Tabitha back to life in Acts chapter 9. You want to change your spiritual family tree? You want to influence the next generation? You want to be remembered for those you influence more than those things that you have accomplished and gathered? Let me ask you the question. What could our church accomplish this fall? What would God do in our lives this fall if we were to say, hey, you know what? I'm, I know we're still kind of fighting this pandemic. If we were to set to the side the idea of this pa- pandemic, if we were to forget just for a moment that, that people are watching uh, online in their pajamas, if we just set that to the side, if we would then take just a few moments and say, hey, listen, We are going to engage kids and students this fall that haven't been engaged in the church in 18 months. Why? Because they've been on the sidelines. What would happen if we started dreaming God-sized dreams? What would take place if we all decided we were going to the promised land here in Duluth, Georgia? You see, God is bigger than insert your challenge. God is bigger than insert your inconvenience. God is bigger than insert your whatever gets in the way. Will our faith match the size of our God? Will our prayers reach beyond our ability to do whatever it is we're trying to accomplish ourselves? Will our effort extend beyond our present comfort level? Let me just start. Will you be willing to open a home for a small group coming in the fall? Will you be willing to disciple someone? There's people in here that you have not discipled anyone later. I was talking to my son about this at the table. He goes, well, maybe people don't want to disciple. And I said, well, I understand that. And I said, the problem is you got that big verse that says go and make disciples. Kind of what do you do with that? Jesus is the one who spoke it. So, you know, it's it's kind of a big deal. Go and make disciples. Well, what does that mean? That means a little bit of something different than everybody. For everybody, uh, it's unique to each person. But the reality is we ought to be about discipling. We ought to be about bringing people along and showing them the greatness of the God that we serve and the fact that he desires to live in each human heart. Perhaps you will say, hey, today I'm going to bring my kids on Wednesday night and on Sunday mornings. I am going to find a place to serve. I am going to bring them to service with me, and I'm going to actually sit with them. I'm going to sacrifice short-term things for long-term goals. You see, a lot of times in the spiritual world, we day trade. We're trying to make a quick buck. We're trying to turn a quick profit as opposed to investing for the long-term future of our families. And it's easy just to take the side road. But may we as a church simply say we are going to run hard after the God of the universe this fall. Would you go ahead and begin circling circling just the Sundays of your calendar and say those are days reserved for us to gather together as a people. Will you surrender your man-centered dreams and aspirations for those that honor the Lord today? And would you let go of a God that's too small? Would you let go of a faith that is too weak, an effort that is too feeble, and prayers that are too generic? And dream God-sized dreams. Church, we have much to accomplish. 
We have much for you and I to be a part of. Think about it. What do we say? What is our BHAG? We want to point people to Jesus and inspire them to live a cross-shaped life. That's a pretty big, big dream. We want to point people to Jesus. Everybody we come into contact with, everybody, every single person, we want to point them to Jesus. And then once we get to know them, we want to inspire them to a cross-shaped life. Let me tell you what that looks like. Let me tell you about the greatness of my God. Let me tell you what he has done for my soul. And hey, would you walk with me? Let me inspire you, not Mickey Mouse inspiration, but let me tell you the greatness of my God. Let me tell you how he's changed my life. Let me tell you how he's given me hope. Let me tell you how he's given me a future. And how does that look for every member? We want you to worship with us. We would love for you to be here in this room so we will have an overflowing and overfull joy in the Lord on a Sunday when we're gathered together as believers. We would love for you to serve in some capacity. Do you have a place of service? We would love for you to be sent, whether it's San Diego, Baltimore, New Orleans, Boston, or simply walking across the street to live sent. You see, that's what we desire that every member would be a part of those things and every attender would simply say, I want to take the next step. Whatever you are at right now, wherever you are, did you take the next step with us? And then every non-believer in this room and hearing online, that you would realize and imagine that the God who loved me also loves you. He loves you and he died for you and he wanted to restore the relationship. Remember I said the transcendent God and a sinful man By very nature, they cannot coexist because sin separates us. But God sent his son, Jesus Christ, to die for your sins and for mine. And when Jesus came and died that cruel death, he paid a penalty that you and I could not pay. And he washed away my sins white as snow. And when you think about that this morning, those sins are gone And because God desires to be and can be in the presence of purity and holiness, we are seen as holy because of what Jesus did for us and the relationship is restored for all those who believe. I'm gonna ask you this morning, if you would, would you bow your heads and close your eyes all over this room? You see, this relationship is not to be restrictive or coercive or boring what, what I want to introduce you to is Jesus. He is the Son of God, fully God and fully man, and he died on a cross for you. This relationship is meant to be liberating, full of joy and life-giving, not something that burdens you. The Lord heard the voice of Joshua then, and he will hear your voice to now. He will hear your voice now. Right now, all across the room, you believers be praying. If you don't know Jesus as your personal Lord and Savior, I hope that you will say, hey, listen, I've heard of that God. In fact, I've thought about that God. But God sent his son Jesus to provide a way for you to enter into heaven with him when you die. This morning, I invite you, if you have never asked Jesus to come into your heart, forgive you of your sins, Romans 10, 9 says this, if you confess with your mouth, that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Or simply put, whoever calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved this morning. All you have to do is confess your sins, ask Jesus to come into your life, and he will. 
Father, this morning, as there are people in the hearing of my voice that have never asked you to come into your life right now, I pray that in the quietness of this moment that they, where they are, would simply say, Jesus, I know that you died for my sins. You came that I may have hope for eternity. You came to wash away my sins so that I may have a restored relationship with God the Father. Come into my life, forgive me of my sins, and give me eternal life when I die. And Lord Jesus, would you just impact every person in the hearing of my voice that if they're not serving, if they're not worshiping, if they're not, and they're, and they're not living sent, if they're not discipling someone, that God, you would give them an opportunity to be a part of your perfect plan. That you would allow us to see your handiwork take place even now. God, you have your way even now in Jesus' name. Amen. Now look, before we close, some of you may have made a decision, some of you online, perhaps you prayed with me for the very first time. We want a record of that visit. We would love for you to ha put down a record of what your decision was, and here's what I want you to do. If you made a decision, I want you to go to crosspointchurch.com slash decision, or perhaps with your cell phone, you just text Jesus to 678-255-2566. Greatest thing you could ever do is simply say, hey, I wanna be a part of, of God's ultimate plan for my life. Perhaps you said, hey, listen, I've never been in a Bible study. I don't know what it is. I wanna give you another opportunity. A couple of times we've been doing this over the last couple of weeks, just giving you opportunities. Here's a Bible study that you may be interested in. Go to crosspointchurch.com slash follow me. Perhaps you can just put that in and say, hey, I'm gonna take this, a six-week deal, and I'm just gonna use this in my quiet times. I'm gonna use this to study. Maybe I'll grab some friends. We want you to go on the journey with us. And in order for our church to be all they can be in the next couple of weeks as, as Doc comes back and school starts and we try to press forward onto the preferred future of this church, would you invite someone? Would you simply say, I'm gonna bring someone with us? Go pick them up. Some of you online, we hope that you will come back in the next couple of weeks and you will join us and that we'll see our greatest days ahead. I'm gonna pray in just a moment. But what that's gonna take for all of us is that we would surrender all. We're gonna sing that song in just a moment. Luke and Amanda are gonna lead and Rhonda are gonna lead. Would you surrender all? Lord Jesus, right now, would you have your way with us? Father, would you allow us to see your hand at work in our lives? God, we surrender all to you. In Jesus' name we pray.